Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, just recently a poll was taken in England. It revealed that the majority of people in Great Britain feel that Jesus was not a real historical figure. Now, this is the land of Edward the Confessor, of Thomas More, of John Fisher, Edmund Campion, John Henry Newman, and G.K. Chesterton. Trust me when I tell you that these figures are rolling their eyes in heaven at this finding. Because the historicity of Jesus, to use the academic jargon, the facticity of his life is of central importance to Christianity. There are many spiritual systems that trade primarily in poetry and myth and legend. And they use those literary devices to carry their spiritual significance. And as Jerry Seinfeld might say, there's nothing wrong with that. I I like myths and legends. I go back to um, Joseph Campbell, whom I read with great pleasure and, and benefit many years ago, the comparative mythologist who showed, you know, across the literature of the world, these, these enduring themes that come through in, in myth and legend and so on. Great, great. But Christianity is not a mythic system. It's an historical religion that makes very concrete historical claims. And if those claims are wrong, Christianity falls apart. And, you know, because, precisely because history is a notoriously inexact science, because by definition its data can't be reproduced for independent verification the way it can in other sciences, you know, we can verify through our own experimentation what someone had said 500 years ago. And that makes those sciences more appealing in some ways to us. But see, history is not like that. I I can't independently verify that Caesar crossed the Rubicon. I can't do an experiment to show that Napoleon came to power in the late 18th century. I mean, those things happened, and we rely on historical witnesses. But see, because of this fact, many people have been scandalized by Christianity over the centuries because our ultimate faith, our ultimate concern seems to rely on these very shifting sands of historical uh, fact. Facts that, that are very difficult to verify. So they've tried as a result, many theologians and thinkers, to turn Christianity into one more mythic system, to distill from it some of the same general themes you can find in the myths and legends. However, I'm going to stress this because the readings today stress it, the founding texts of our great tradition simply do not allow for this path of interpretation. As appealing as it is, I mean, I get it. 
it's one of the faces of theological liberalism is to turn Christianity into one more mythic system. I get it because see, we can independently verify, if you want, these great um, mythic claims. But the founding texts of our tradition just don't allow it. Because the first Christians were intensely interested in the historicity of what they were describing and preaching about. Now, a particularly good example of this is the evangelist Luke, whom we hear from today. Luke was a Greek, most likely a disciple of the Apostle Paul, and he writes very good Greek, so he probably came of age within a Greek uh, cultural setting. Here he's different from, let's say, St. Mark, who's a wonderful um, figure and writer in many ways, but doesn't write polished, elegant Greek. Now, St. Luke explicitly identifies himself at the beginning of his gospel as an historian. And we hear from it today now in the prologue to his gospel. Listen. Many people have done their best to write a report of the things that have taken place among us. Because I've carefully studied all these matters, I thought it would be good to write an orderly account for you so that you will know the full truth about everything which you've been taught. That's what Luke is telling this figure he calls Theophilus. He's telling him what he's doing. I've read all the various accounts, and that probably includes uh, certainly Mark's gospel, maybe Matthew, maybe other gospels that have been lost to us, maybe other uh, oral and written traditions that have been lost to us. But Luke has studied them all, compiled them as best he could, and now wants to give us a thorough account. The point is, and many of the contemporary scholars have confirmed this, this is precisely how an ancient historian would tend to characterize his work. The ancient world knew all about myths and legends. They're famous for them. But see, what's clear here is that Luke is not trading in myths and legends. Luke knew that literature. Of course he did. But he emphasizes that he's not writing that sort of book. What he's writing is what people of his time would have recognized as historical biography. Now, mind you, as many have pointed out, it's not exactly the same as our kind of biography. You know, for example, they they leave out years and years and years of Jesus' early life. Well, no biographer today of a famous person would do that. But in the ancient world, they did. But there's no question about whether he's writing myth or legend. No, no, he's writing historical biography. Now, listen to him as he commences his great story. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, I'm laughing because could the man get any more exact? Could he be any more completely insistent on situating his story at a particular time and place? Could it be, in a word, any more different than mythic discourse? Nobody writes, Hercules did these things when so-and-so was was emperor of Rome, when so-and-so was the governor. Who was mayor of the town when Hercules cleaned the Aegean stables? See, no one asks questions like that because mythic literature is not historical literature. 
By the way, all the figures that Luke mentions here can be independently verified as historical personages. So is Jesus a mythic figure? Is his story legendary? Is it like the stories of Hercules and Achilles and so on? No. No is clearly what's being communicated here. Does it matter for Luke that the things he's describing really happened? Yes. And we couldn't get any more emphatic about it. See, mythic abstractions are great as far as they go. They, they tell us certain truths. They express them often very beautifully. But they're always susceptible to the charge that they represent wishful thinking, that they are but projections of our own consciousness. You know, you put together a mythic story, a legend, and it contains, you know, certain psychological and spiritual truths. But it can look and sound a lot like, well, wouldn't it be great if things were that way? Here's the point. Luke is telling us that something happened. He's not just musing on his own, not just inventing literary figures that express some deep hope of his. No, no, something happened. In fact, something so strange and unexpected and rare that it changed everything. Somebody came here, Adventus, you know, the season we're in, Advent. Someone arrived and made all the difference. Notice, please, how wonderfully Luke sets us up for the story he will tell. He begins, very much on purpose, the way we'd expect an ancient historian to begin by invoking the high and mighty. So going back to Caesar Augustus and to, uh, or Tiberius Caesar rather, and to Pontius Pilate and Licinius and, and Annas and Caiaphas. That's what writers were expected to write about in the ancient world. If, if ordinary folks appeared in history books, well, they were supporting players or, or comic relief. And by the way, this is precisely how, in the next chapter, Luke would commence his Christmas story. Remember those familiar words? When Caesar Augustus was emperor and Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay. But see, what a surprising move he makes. For in today's gospel from the prologue of Luke, we are told that the word of God did not come to any of those high and mighty players. It didn't come to the emperor or the governor or the tetrarch. It didn't even come to the high priests in the Jerusalem temple. I mean, heck, you think of the word of God's going to come, it'll come to Annas and Caiaphas. No. Rather, it comes, Luke tells us, to John, the son of Zechariah in the desert. It comes to the most unlikely person in the most unlikely place. The same is true, of course, of the Christmas story. The tale is not finally about Augustus or Quirinius, but about this poor little unknown couple. Okay, now let's bring all this together. History matters so much to Luke because God is intervening to reverse the usual course of history. 
History matters to Luke because something happened. Somebody came and in the most unexpected way reversed the course of history. As I mentioned last week, history in many ways is the long account of human frailty and folly and wickedness. Empires rise and empires fall. Some good is done, much evil is done. Round and round it goes. And by the way, look for that motif in a lot of the mythic literature of the world, all the way up to James Joyce in the 20th century. Round and round it goes, the cycle of history. In our myths and stories, we can dream of another world. We can hope against hope that things might be different. The point of the gospel that Luke is telling is that God has actually intervened in history to turn things around. God has, in fact, interrupted the usual flow of things. God has, in fact, gone around the usual power structures and has made a new world, sending his word first to John, this unlikely prophet in the desert, and then in the flesh, in Jesus himself. The Lord has come, everybody. He's really arrived in history, Adventus. And therefore, everything is different. There's Christianity. There's the point of the Advent season. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.